welcome to the Hotter Than Health podcast, a podcast and resource for those looking to expand and elevate their lives. Each week, we will bring you provocative topics, engaging interviews, and some of the biggest names in health and wellness to answer your burning questions. Each episode, you will leave with tangible tips and takeaways so that you can immediately begin to elevate and optimize your life. Then once you're aware of those those things around you, you're able to disrupt that pattern and then like prevent those triggers from happening so then you don't have to fight off the willpower or the cravings or all of that. The thing that I love about podcasting and about this medium as a whole is that every time I have a conversation with someone, we have the opportunity to feel like we are just at dinner or having a drink hanging out, going for a walk, chit-chatting. It's an actual conversation with someone that maybe I don't know that well personally, but I just so happen to be extremely interested in what they have to say. And they'll answer all my questions and they have a wealth of knowledge. And it is such a phenomenal, this is just such a great medium. And the fact that the fact that we even have podcasts now, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. But Hotter than health. I just, I'm so appreciative for this platform because it's so, the conversations that we have are so, just so interesting to me. But I know that you will also find this conversation interesting. This is, I reached out to Molly Ruggieri. I reached out to her several months ago to ha- schedule her to have time on the podcast for a second time because one, we had such a great response to her first time being on the podcast. But second of all, with the new year, with dry January, with all of these new year's resolutions, with everyone overthinking and under doing what something that they think is going to make them feel better. I know so many people who have not, not necessarily addiction issues or uh, issues with drinking and it causing uh, emotional harm as much, but it's it's more so people aren't resonating and having as much fun with alcohol as they used to be. I think that right now people are starting to realize that, yes, alcohol can be super fun, but some people just don't jive with it as well as others. Some people's bodies don't metabolize it and they just feel like shit the next day. Other people, they really, it heightens their anxiety a ton. Some people, it's tough to know when to stop. Some people are just trying to figure out that space where they can be in them when when they can just have half a glass of wine or they can go to dinner and not feel like they need to order a glass or a drink without wanting to. I know that that's a conversation that I hear from so many nutrition clients and friends and peers in the industry or or not in the industry. This And this is not just people that are my age. So this is people in their 40s and 50s and even in their teens. They're thinking, hey, I don't really want to go out and drink that much, but it's really what there is to do. And social networking and social lives tend to tend to really revolve around it. And in this conversation, this really is not to demonize or villainize alcohol at all. I'm not a sober person. I just don't drink that often. And this is just a conversation that I think is going to hit home for a lot of people. And this isn't to say that you need to stop drinking. If you, if you're, this is just a conversation. So take it for what it is. But I do know that there are a lot of listeners who have found that they just feel better when they aren't drinking as much or they 
or they're trying to not drink as much, but they feel like they're reclused and reclused is not a word, but hello. They feel like they become reclusive and shut themselves off from the world. And that's not what they want either. So it's like trying to find this balance of, uh, can we balance? I'm done with that word, but it's trying to find the fine line between going out, feeling like, Hey, I don't need to order a drink, but if you want to order a drink and you really feel like it's going to elevate your experience, then go for it. But having the option in getting to that, getting to that take it or leave it mindset. That's, that's where I feel like is my happy place. And then I know that there's another end of the spectrum where people are really struggling. And I'm not here to say that I have experience with addiction in that way, but Molly has dealt with so much in her five or six years of being without alcohol and her, what she has really revolved her life around is honestly, it's what her company is called. It's called counterculture and it's a company that she founded and it is here to help people find alcohol freedom in a way and have whatever relationship that they want with alcohol in the healthiest way for them, which I think is amazing. We have Molly Ruggieri. She is a alcohol freedom coach, life coach, and she is definitely offering coaching calls. And I think that if anyone's interested in it, then it would be at least worth it to chit chat, have a, have a conversation with her. You can find her on Instagram, but this is a extremely long winded way of saying, I think you're going to love this episode. And if you're interested in just changing your relationship with alcohol in whatever way that looks like, or if you're just having a good time with alcohol, but you maybe have friends who are in this space or in that headspace, it's just another level of knowledge and another level of lay on some compassion. And also it's just an interesting conversation because I feel like today we get so into the minds of the minutia. Like what are these people actually thinking? What are the specific things that we are telling ourselves or we think is going on And one thing that I really took away from this episode is that nobody gives a fuck as much as we do. Truly, nobody's ever going to care as much as you do. So taking things into your own hands is really the best way to go about things. But having support from others is also great. Okay, that is a long-winded way of saying welcome to the podcast. Molly Ruggieri, I think you all will absolutely love this episode. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Hotter Than Health. I'm so excited to have you here today back on the podcast so that we can talk about alcohol, life without alcohol, and for you specifically, how it made your life so much better. I want to rewind though to, and I know we've had you on the podcast before, you've shared a bit of the story, but I want to rewind even more into how how did you first feel when you stopped drinking alcohol and what was that moment of, okay, that was my last time drinking alcohol. Did you go into your last drink thinking this is my last drink? Or can you tell us about that whole phase? Sure. Yeah. So when I, when I stopped drinking, it was, it was more out of, I, you know, I was going through a rough place mentally. It was the winter in New York city. I was super depressed. I didn't, you know, I hadn't been like medically treated for any like depression or anxiety at that point, which also was part of my drinking. And so, you know, I was not on any medication. I did get on it once I quit drinking and it made a huge difference, but, um, yeah. So I kind of thought like, I'm just going through this phase, but I'll quit drinking for like a little bit and then it'll be fine. And one day I'll just like have a glass of wine and that'll be it. And like, I never, 
you know, the idea of not drinking ever again was still kind of unfathomable to me because it was so central to my entire life. And like, you know, I, not only did I, I use it for having fun and socializing and like connecting with coworkers and dating and all of those things, but like it, you know, I thought I needed it to be the best version of myself. So like, even you know, before I went on a date, I'd have a personality drink or before if we go with friends, I'd always want to get alcohol while we were doing whatever the thing was. So, you know, when I first stopped drinking, I I felt great because, you know, I superficially like I lost the weight that I had been never able to lose despite like not even eating that much when I drank just because of purely how many calories are in alcohol. Um, like my skin was better. I had more energy. I was sleeping so well for years. I thought I needed to have a glass of wine to go to sleep. And I was like getting anxiety with the idea of not having wine, thinking like I would never be able to sleep without it. And I slept like I would pass out, pass out like I was blackout, but I was totally sober. I was just getting quality sleep for like the first time in years. Oh my God. So. Isn't that the best feeling when you... It's, it's scary because you have done something for so long. Like you have that after work, you pour a glass of wine, that ritual almost. Yeah. And then yeah. that's kind of leading up to your bedtime. So I totally get that on the weekends. You know how when sometimes you have such a deep sleep where you wake up and you feel hungover, how, like you feel hungover yeah. because you slept so hard, so deep, but it yeah. wouldn't change it for the world. So I want to, you touched on something. You you touched on the fact that you were struggling with depression and anxiety, and were you at the time correlating, hey, alcohol isn't good for me when I'm dealing with this? Was it also caffeine? Was it like your friend group? Was alcohol the first thing that you thought, oh, that needs to go? So I actually, this is funny and kind of embarrassing to share, but I, um, I had gone to, uh, you know, I think it was just my OBGYN and like mentioned that I had struggling with these emotions. And I think I said last episode that I had just gotten gone through a breakup. And that was really the time I was using alcohol to self-medicate that just like emotion and try to numb it. And so, you know, I mentioned to this doctor that I had been feeling that way. And so she prescribed me you know, an antidepressant and a anxiety medication, but I had read on the bottle that you should not take that with alcohol. So I decided, well, I should just probably not take the medication because then I can't drink. So it's so funny. People that, will, yeah. people will not take, and I'm, I have mixed feelings about medications, but like, if you really, really need it, that's what blows my mind. People would rather prioritize. And obviously people if there's addiction going on, that's different. But it's just so crazy to me that people will say, oh my gosh, if I can't drink, then I'm not going to do this. Or I'll only have a couple of glasses. Yeah. I'm like, your liver is going to be livid with you. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So you went to your OBGYN, you didn't take your medicine. Yeah. And yeah, I know and medication is totally like a mixed thing. And I think some, some people in, in the sober community uh, don't take it. I would say that there are a lot of folks that um, found that as soon as they got on medication, it actually like took away a lot of their anxiety or depression symptoms. Like, so it, I think very much so for that first year, especially it was really critical to me staying sober and just feeling more balanced. Um, and you know, I'm never going to tell someone what to do or what not to do. I just, I always think it's, you know, it's a personal choice and it's been a neutral choice. It's whatever works for, for that particular person. But I, I think oftentimes, and you know, this is just 
common knowledge that mental illness and addiction very often co-occur. Like it's drinking over drinking is like a symptom. It's not the cause. So like yeah. I was very much treating something like I was, I was drinking because I felt a reward from it, which is why everybody drinks, even if it is messing up our lives, because subconsciously we still feel like the cost is worth the benefit, even if logically we know it isn't. So mm -hmm. it just, you know, that alone is so maddening too. And it just, it just is such a vicious cycle and such an ironic process that it's like you drink, you destabilize your main, your brain chemicals even more. And yeah. then you don't take your medication or you take it and you basically cancel it out if you're also drinking. So it's like, we're trying to make ourselves better. And in reality, we're actually making ourselves worse. Well, and, and this is also not to villainize alcohol, because I think that if you're if you're good and you don't yeah. feel like there's anything it, like it's not it, there, it's not something that you have to eliminate. Everyone has to eliminate. I think that the reason I why I really wanted to have you on is because aside from sober January, anytime I bring up the fact that, yeah, I'm not a big drinker, it, it, I have literally changed the way that I respond to a question. Hey, do you want to drink? If someone, if someone asks me, Hey, do you want to drink? Or, Oh, they'll say like, Oh, are you drinking this weekend? I'm like, I'm not sure yet. Or I'll say, I haven't really been drinking much, but I'll decide when I get there. Or I'll, mm -hmm. I'll change things instead of saying, no, I don't drink anymore. Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still drink and lie. Cause I think that a lot of times mm -hmm. I'm scared to say, yeah, I'm not really drinking, but like on new year's Eve, I had drinks, but before that I went four months without having drinks. And I just, wow, that's I, awesome. didn't, I just didn't feel like it. I felt like yeah. my body like wasn't metabolizing it. It was one mm -hmm. glass of wine. I would be miserable. And I just, it got to the point where I, I had gone out a few times to like concerts or dinners or what have you. And I would have gone out and then come home and still been able to do some random things that I wouldn't have done if I had been. It just feels so good to not be. It, it's fun in the moment, but it's just not worth it when you get home or when you're trying to go to sleep or when you wake up the next morning. But, yeah. And, and that's yeah, where and I, I, yeah. I love. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. I just like love what you're saying and I get so excited. I'm like, yeah. No, it's good. And I think that in the past, I think a lot of people will be able to relate this to this too. In the past, I have gone through these spurts of not drinking. I'll go, it would have been like two months or two weeks or a month. And I was like, damn, go me. I'm awesome. Like that was my baseline. And which is great for some people, it's three days and that's a lot. And it's a matter of just where you are, where you're at. But I would go into it so with such dogma and I would militant, be yeah. yes, militant. And it was like a diet where I'm like, if mm -hmm. I restrict so much, then when I do drink, I, it was more, it was not so much like, oh, yeah. I want to drink now. It was just the thoughts were obsessive, such as mm -hmm. it is with food. You restrict yourself so much. Say I am on whole 30. I am on keto. I am on this diet or I have to track my macros. And you think, okay, I can't have X, Y, Z foods. But even though you might actually be following that quote unquote diet, you're thinking about it constantly. So mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I was like, okay, I'm with some of my best friends in the world. We're out to dinner. I'm not 
you know, I don't have an early morning. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And we did. It was so delicious. It was so fun. I'm, I had the greatest time and had some drinks for New Year's Eve. And then uh, it was, it had been four months. I didn't miss it. I wasn't, I didn't go into it with so much pressure on myself to only drink Mm -hmm. in a certain way now. And that's where I'm at. So I haven't like completely eliminated it, but it's when I really, really feel like it's right, you know? Yeah. And I think that is so awesome to hear people because I do, I hear that more and more. And I hear that not just like in my social circle, but on podcasts and in articles. And it's like, everyone can see the writing on the wall. That is where society is going because like the tastemakers and the, and the big brands and, and capitalism, like people are getting involved in that conversation and people that are admired publicly are speaking out and saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I took a break and I feel great. And it's, it's honestly like, it's becoming a thing that so many people are doing that it's almost getting to the point where it's like, I mean, we're not there yet, but you know, it's like everything kind of moves from one side to the other. And we're sort of getting to that place where like drinking alcohol just isn't as quote unquote cool as it used to be. Like we're prioritizing sleep. We're prioritizing our skincare, like hydrating. And maybe it's also, you know, the age that I'm at, I'm in, I'm a millennial, I'm in my thirties. So we just, you know, we can't drink the way that we used to. I mean, I don't drink at all. I certainly don't drink the way that I used to. Um, but it's also becoming more, the, the language is evolving more. We're, we're describing different ways of, we're giving names to different relationships with alcohol. Whereas it just used to be even five years ago when I quit, it was like, you either are a drinker or you're a non-drinker and you cannot be anything in between. Mm-hmm. If you drink, you must drink at every social occasion or have a written excuse from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't drink, then you should not ever go to a bar or leave the church basement, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And like, I just, you know, from the beginning of when I stopped and, you know, I was 27 and I was like, I feel In better than I ever your, like, social. I better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, you know, at first when I quit, I, I thought my life was over and I was like, well, I mean, this is what I have to do. But like, it's, I'm not going to like it. My life's never going to be the same, but I know that like, this is the only way that I can, you know, move forward and be healthy and like feel better. So I was just like, I'll deal with it. But, um, but I just looked around and I was like, well, I just feel like sobriety or not drinking has a marketing problem. Like it is truly such a great decision. Yeah. They (laughs) hired, I think they hired a new PR person for for sober living. It's me. It's you. It's you. You really changed it. You and I I think you and Blake Lively, you and Blake Lively. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Well, it's like, I don't even call myself sober anymore. Like that's, and I love that you asked me about like the evolution of how my relationship with alcohol and how I describe it has changed because it has changed so much. And even like, like, for example, I, um, I got asked to, do a rewrite of an article I wrote a couple of years ago for Tempest when Mon- Monument is another um, like online recovery program that purchased that acquired Tempest. So they had me update my story from like 2019. And so much of what I feel and my mindset has changed just since then. And I thought at that time that I was super evolved and like liberated and knew, you know, was really against the grain, but really like looking back, I still, I saw a lot of like fear and like, like you were saying, like, you know, how to avoid alcohol, how to like protect yourself against it. And now I'm just, I'm so like, I don't care. I don't really notice it. It is yeah. it's totally neutral to me seeing alcohol sitting on the counter, like 
sparked zero emotion. I don't crave it. I don't want it. I don't think about it. It's just like, it's not a thing. I mean, it doesn't, it's an inanimate object, but because we put so much importance on it, whether it's like fearing it or thinking we need it, it, that makes it such a stronger pull or push. And it's like, if you just look at it for what it truly is, which is just a bottle sitting on the counter that you don't have to put in your throat, like it loses its power. And then it's like, oh, okay. And it just isn't as intimidating or as big of a deal once you're like, it's, it's just not a big deal. I will say though, in, in the midst of this conversation, I think that so many people are having these thoughts in their head and, and I'm not the kind of person who says, wait until the right time. You'll know when it's the right time because there's never a perfect time to stop or (laughs) reduce. But I will say I had had these thoughts in my head for years, but there was something that just felt really easy about not drinking when I decided to drink less. There was something about this time and this era of my life last year that felt easier than before where I felt like it was more sustainable and it was just like a new version of me as opposed to me muscling through. I feel mm-hmm. like this time was, it had more finesse. And I will say that I'm lucky. I I understand that I'm not s- struggling with addiction. I understand that that's not something that I have to overcome, but it, I don't think that it necessarily, we need to stop thinking of it as a handicap of, yeah. It's so funny because I think so many people are like, <clears throat> I, I, here's a, to paint a picture. I have some friends and I, I have been this person. I had some friends who, still who are saying, who, who aren't drinking, who have decided in this juncture in their life, they're not drinking. It's been several months. They feel great, but they're also avoiding a lot of social situations, which mm-hmm. I, I definitely understand. There's going to be times where like, I don't want to go to play a beer pong tournament. You know what I mean? There's yeah. going to be some situations where I'm like, well, of course it's literally only drinking, but there have been times where I've seen this person who, or uh, these people avoid concerts or shows or dinners yeah. or things that definitely could be fine with a different mindset. And I think that for me personally, this is again, not going to work for everybody, but I think that running towards the social situations oh, where yeah. like that's how I have to process it. I remember I went to a comedy show and everyone around me was drinking Trulies. I had a LaCroix in my hand and I felt people were people were like, oh well she's pregnant. Just don't ask her about it. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I was like, what is she? Yeah. okay. Um and then there were times where I went to like a club. I mean a club club and I was like what the it, it, I <laughs> It got to a point where I was definitely enjoying myself, but I was not enjoying drunk people screaming in my ears and being, I was just yeah. like, that's where yeah. I, but it wasn't because of the occasion. Yeah. It was because of some right. of the nuances, but I still the went. Elements. You're just more, you're more aware of your surroundings, but, but yeah, yeah, when you sit there and you're like, you, and that's so good too, to like be really tuned into your thoughts. Like this is, this is what I do with my clients. And this is also how my mindset has evolved is like, you know, when I stopped drinking, I was going to AA meetings and, you know, they tell you for the first few months, like, don't go out. Like, they, you know, it's going to take a while for you to be ready for that environment. And, and they say, you know, don't date for the first year. And, you know, I don't 
obviously I don't really, didn't really like following any rules and <laughs> I'm going to challenge everything. So I, I started dating after like two weeks and met someone in AA, um, fun, <laughs> fun stories. So, but he's wonderful, still friends with him. Um, but yeah, it's, I've found, and what I've learned in my coaching training and what I tell my clients is like exactly what you were saying. Like the, the best way to change a behavior or to change your mind is firsthand experience. Like yeah. you have to have that proof and that data to show yourself, to show your brain that your subconscious, that, you know, what you fear, what you're anticipating isn't reality. It's not the truth. Um, and that's, that's the only way that you're going to be able to, to truly change it is if you put yourself in that situation, because otherwise you're just going to anticipate and build it up and have this anxiety. And like, you know, that is where the deprivation is. What That's where the deprivation comes from. It's not, yeah. not having the alcohol. It's, not being included and being left out like yeah socially like evolutionarily like we are creatures that are we want to fit in we want to be liked and if we feel like we're not prescribing to the thing that 99% of everyone else around us is then that's like the worst feeling in the world yeah but you know if we realize we can go and be in that environment and like be just as present have just as much fun and you know if we're not having fun Maybe that's because it's just like not that fun. Like, and maybe you weren't having that much fun around you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The things you're perceiving around you are still happening when you're drinking. You just like don't notice because you've numbed your senses and like knocked out. You know, it's just, yes. And I think that it just takes it takes like thinking a little bit like bigger. You know, mm-hmm. like a little bit outside of outside of the box and like what's in front of you and what's been told to you. It's funny that you say thinking outside of the box because right now and for the past, I don't know, four years, I've been doing this one singular meditation from Joe Dispenza. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's Mm -hmm. he's a, yeah. Okay. He is a, he, yes, meditation, but he's like a neuro, I want to say neuroscientist, but I don't think he's an actual neuroscientist, but he studies the brain and the reactions that happen in your brain when you meditate and when you get into a different heightened state of emotion and you teach your body how to feel a certain way. And I'm listening to this audio book now called how to change your life, or I'm sorry, how to change your mind. And it is so interesting. He makes this analogy that we are actually so conditioned in our body that it surpasses our subconscious or it passes through our conscious mind into our subconscious so much so that our body actually holds all of our experiences. So when you get that anxiety about going out and you feel it in your chest, you feel it in your body. He, He gave this one example that have you ever, for, for me, we have a key lock on our, uh, like a, a a keypad where you have to electrically type in a keypad to get into our house. And mm-hmm. there's a certain four or five digit code. And there have been two times, and I've lived in this place for a year and a half, and we do the same code, muscle memory every single day. It's the same code. But there was a time when I didn't have my phone in the car. Like my phone had died. So I was walking in just very present and I walked up to the door. This is only a few few months ago. I walked up to the door. I didn't know the code. I could not get into my house. (laughs) I've lived here for a year. The most disorienting thing. I could not get into my own home. That's happened to me with like my my computer password. Like I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh my God, I don't remember it. And I'll like, like when I worked in in my old job, I'd like, like, 
I'd call IT and I'd be like, I don't remember my password. Like, how They're like, you it's just, your birthday. Yeah, you do it without involuntarily. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So- and then something, something, there's like a wire that like shuts, like you break a fuse or something in your brain and it's like, Meh. and then so, you like, yes. you're going insane. Exactly. I was like, I think I'm actually having a stroke, a neurological uh, event. What I did was, <laughs> oh, no. and I, I typed in maybe five or 10 different passwords. I, and I thought, oh my God, I need to call my boyfriend. But then my, I realized my phone was dead. I thought the only thing that I can do is either go for a walk, but it was, I think, freezing at the time. I walked back to my car. I got in my car and I got out, locked it, but I was holding my phone, pretending to be on my phone while I walked up to the door. Well, like I normally mm-hmm. am. And then I was able to muscle memory, put it in. It was the craziest situation that where, so, yeah. but you know That's what I mean? So, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh, well, I feel yeah. like if I have a drink in my hand, then I'm fine. Or I feel like if I have a, mm-hmm. that sense, that sense of, oh, if I just take a yeah, shot before tricking, this date. You're tricking your brain. Exactly. I mean, that is exactly the kind of stuff that, that I talk with my clients about. It's like, that it's learned behavior. It's this, you know, the tools that I give them and what we talk about and Annie Grace's work, she is, she's now writing, she just published a book about using her method for nicotine, putting nicotine. And, you know, she's talking about doing it for all sorts of other, you know, habits that aren't related to alcohol because it works for anything like that. Like you can change a habit, a behavior by, you know, changing your thoughts and also by paying attention to every kind of sensory experience that you have when you are, you know, in those environments where you would reach for a drink. Yeah. Because then that, then once you're aware of those, those things around you, you're able to disrupt that pattern and then like prevent those triggers from happening. So then you don't have to fight off the willpower or the cravings or all of that. Because once you see, once you see alcohol or once you hear that song or smell that, like, cinnamon from the mold wine or whatever it is, your brain like triggers that whole like little package of memory that is associated with that, that smell or that moment, because that's, you know, we record multi-sensory memories. So, you know, you have to figure, you know, you have to pay attention to what all of those different little details are so that when that happens, you can say to yourself, oh, that is just because, you know, my brain associates that smell with alcohol. It's not because I actually want it. It's just this old habit and pattern repeating itself. And but the more that you avoid going and taking, doing the same behavior, the less, the more you can wear down that neural pathway and actually like lessen it and make it less, you know, penetrative to the point where eventually you can like deconstruct it completely. I mean, we'll never get rid of neural pathways once we create them, but you can, you know, kind of you can create it down ones. a little bit if yeah. you will and, and build new ones. Exactly. Yeah. And with all of this, it's so interesting too, because we see so many of the, so many podcast episodes that I listen to really high performing, not just athletes, but people in business, just in life in general, celebrities, non-celebrities, the one of the biggest hacks that they've had they're like I don't really drink and if they do then it's yep. it's on the uh, on occasion it's a it's they're not super social drinkers anymore and i think that it takes that i think that once you get to a certain level in life where you want so much from yourself that i think is such a good cheat code i honestly do mm-hmm. and i understand oh my god we call it a life hack and it's such a life hack. like if you could package, I'm sure I've said this on your podcast before, because I think it's, I heard it on some other podcast years ago, but I think it really stuck with me because it's true. Like 
if you could package all of the benefits you get from not drinking, we couldn't keep it on the shelves. Like, okay, all you, you get amazing sleep. Your skin is better. Your body is more regulated. Your organs perform better. Your brain is firing more strongly. Your relationships improve. It's like a magic pill by not consuming the drug or the pill or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's it, honestly counterculture is such a good name for your company because it's so it is it feels so calculated and against the grain and such a our our social contract is so construct is so much that we are conditioned to go out. It, it, it did take me a long time. Like I was really nervous that I wouldn't get invited places. I was nervous that I wasn't going to get invited to dinners. I was yeah. thinking like, I'm going to be so awkward around these people. But then I realized that at the end of the day, nobody is thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about me. N nobody actually gives 100%. one ninth of a fuck what I'm doing. Like nobody cares. Mm -hmm. And also that's why I'm trying to not even talk about it that much. Here I am having a whole podcast about it, but it, that's why I'm trying to not like, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like clearly I, I don't care. Way. Watch me. <laughs> but yeah, you like started a whole company, but, but what I mean is like, I do not care if other people are drinking, but when I do care, it's mm -hmm. when I see someone who is really, having anxiety attacks or they're they're being extremely complacent in their career and I, they keep saying they want more they want more they want out but then they keep going into this pattern it's just this cyclone um so what are some yeah. of the convert what are some of the conversations <clears throat> you have with people who are maybe they're not struggling with a quote unquote like a full-blown addiction but what are some of the conversations that are coming up most that you're having with your uh your clients what are some fears that yeah. come up that are like if you can get as specific as possible what are some conversations mm -hmm. yeah well and i just want before we move on to that i just did want to touch on what you were saying about the name counterculture and how it is fitting for our group and thank you for saying that because i think when i started the group you know in my mind it was we were countering more so like the only other way of thinking at that time about what it means to not drink or to drink less. Actually, we didn't even have that drink less piece at the beginning. It really was, you know, a purely alcohol free group. And that's because even though at that point I was, you know, absorbing other information and educating myself, I was, I had only been sober for maybe a year or two. And so I still had so much of my own evolution to do in terms of the way that I think because of my origins being so black and white, it, you know, it, it has been such a growing experience to the point where now, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I don't really call myself sober because, um, you know, I, as Annie Grace said that I, you know, she taught us in our training, it's like, I drink as much as I want. I just don't want to drink. So it's oh, like, I like that. I like, I, that. I, I like just by putting those words out there that I can't, or I even, you know, sometimes I don't like the absolutism of the thing, like, makes it more tempting for people because then it becomes something off limits and like nobody wants to be told you can't have this or you can't have that it's the Don't same put baby in a corner. Like what you were saying before yeah it's like the same diet mentality of like the more you say i won't have that cake the more you're like i want the cake and then you ate a whole cake or so. or okay i won't have that cake i'll go binge eat a whole jar of peanut butter or something different like they find a substitute yeah. for it. it it's different right 
but and it's not as satisfying either. Yeah. And before we, before you answer the question of what conversations you're having, I I've done this search a couple of different times because I find that it's always changing, but I just looked up, uh, celebrities that you wouldn't know, but it, it makes sense that these celebrities aren't drinking and not for nothing, but some of my favorite people to follow on social media, Melissa Wood Health, she doesn't drink, Jenna Zoe, all, or Zoe, all these people who I love and respect a lot, but also I yeah. I love and respect a ton of people that do whatever. It's all just, this is yeah. all just part of the ether, but here are just a couple to name off celebrities that don't drink. Natalie Portman, Elton John, Rumor Willis, didn't know that. Dax, che- Dax Shepard, which I think we all know. Shania Twain, yeah. let's go. Uh, Tyler, the creator. Zach Efron. Bradley Cooper. We all know. Uh, who did we just say? Blake Lively. Ty- Tyra Banks. Yeah. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Robert Downey Jr. Naomi Campbell. Lana Del Rey. Leona Lewis. Hold on. There's a few more that. Oh. Hello, Calvin Harris, and he's a DJ. He's out in the mm-hmm. nightlife all the time. Macklemore, Macklemore, um, John Mayer. Yeah. Katie oh yeah, Perry. I forgot John Mayer, and he hasn't drank for years and years. Kendrick Lamar, Teagan, Chrissy yeah. Teigen. Um, yeah. So Jennifer Brad, Lopez. I Brad know. Pitt. There's, there's. I mean, there's so many. Ugh. And you know what? Like, I bet you. I mean, in the past, I bet you that they celebrities didn't drink as much at that time either, or they were on the other end of the spectrum. But I think. You know, in order to keep up with a career and to keep your career that that long and have that longevity, you know, you just can't drink then that way. Like it's physically impossible. So I think it just it is becoming more socially acceptable to say that out loud, because in the past, you know, even again, five years ago, 10 years ago, for someone to come out and say, I don't drink alcohol, it just had so much more weight and seriousness because they always seem to attach like the label alcoholic to it. Like. I pretty much, you know, and I don't want to like generalize by any means, but I find that like people that are maybe 20, 15 years older than me, most of the time, 99% of the time, if they don't drink, it's they're sober through, you know, the 12, us 12 step program. And like, you know, that's wonderful. And the fact that they're still sober is so encouraging and it's still a program that works for tons of people, tons of my friends, but it's, there's more variety now. Like yes, there's different ways to drink or yeah. yeah, And it's like, there's more paths to it. There's more ways to get there. And I think, you know, we're all different. We all need different things. So the fact that there are just like more ways to do this and more ways that work for other people and like more ways of thinking about your drinking that isn't so binary. It's like, that is why it's becoming more of a conversation because it isn't exclusive. Like, And I think that these conversations can be so fun. I think that it's so fun to relate mm-hmm. to someone and be like, oh my gosh, we should, let's see how good we feel. And it's not so much even a matter of, I feel so bad. It's a matter of, for a lot of people, I want to feel even better. And that yeah. I think is a really yeah. cool, I think that the more people are taking care of themselves, you know, people are doing ice baths and drinking their green juice and doing all these things. And they, they want to lean in that extra step of feeling even mm-hmm. better and more optimized. Also, um, yeah. by the way, in four minutes, I'm going to have to hang up and send you a new link because we're not paying for a zoom subscription, but anyways. I have, I have one. If you want to use mine, too, it's okay. We won't go another yeah. time, more. but I want to hear what kind of yeah. into the minds of some of your clients. Yeah. 
When I tell you how often I look at the back of protein and the back of packaging for health foods and I see the ingredients and half of them are oils, preservatives, stabilizers, nothing is organic, everything is filler, there's added sugar, there's actually, they call it dairy-free, but there's actually casein in there and there's just these low-quality products. That is why I am so, so happy to still be partnered with Organifi. You all know that Organifi has been my number one protein powder for the past year and a half, almost two years, and I don't have any plans on switching. And I think I've told the story before that I actually reached out to them saying, hey, I love your products. Would you talk about sponsoring the podcast? And that is how much I believe in this product. I use it every day and it's in our house. We give it away. We have a new package every month. I'm telling you, it is that type of protein powder that doesn't make you feel groggy. It doesn't make you feel clogged up. And you know that you're getting organic ingredients that are glyphosate residue free, which is something that you don't see on any other packaging. And I can tell you that for sure. As someone who does the research, I promise you, you can love Organifi protein as much as I do and check out some of their vanilla and chocolate flavors. You can go to Organifi.com backslash HTH. Again, that is Organifi. Organifi.com, code HTH, and that gets you 20% off. That is not a code that they offer anywhere else that is exclusive to podcast listeners. You can go to Organifi.com. Of course, check out all of their other products, but their Hero Protein is so easy to cook with. It's easy to add to oatmeal, smoothies, drinking it plain with a little bit of ice and milk, and you're good to go. That is Organifi.com backslash HTH for 20% off. Whether you are someone who is a master in the gym and you're jumping around doing 75 foot box jumps and lifting 2000 pound weights, or you are someone who's just been doing yoga, but maybe you want to get into weights, or maybe you've been doing weights and you need recovery and mindfulness, wherever you are in your fitness venture, there is something for you with Mosa On Demand. Mosa On Demand is an online workout fitness platform with hundreds of on-demand workouts, recoveries for everyone, new movers, and athletes. Like I said, there's over 300 workouts. That's cardio, yoga, strength training, weights, body weights, HIT. Podcast listeners get 30 days for free on top of an already 14-day trial with coupon code HOTTERTHANHEALTH30. Again, that is workouts that fit every schedule. So whether you have 10 minutes, 30 minutes, or a whole hour, or you want to double up, these are actually enjoyable and energy music-driven workouts by great coaches. And if you have equipment, if you want to do this at the gym, you can do it on your phone, you can do it on your computer, however you want to do it. It is so awesome. And I think that what's great about this is you can do these workouts for an extended period of time. You can get comfortable in the gym and then maybe get to a point where you're not using it anymore. You feel enough confidence in the gym that you say, hey, let me put this on pause and I can try this out myself. And then when you're going to get back into a different movement, if you want to get back into more recovery, pick it back up. That is what I love so much about these workouts. You can, after 44 days, try a subscription at just $9.99 per month. That is giving you confidence. It is giving you structure to your workouts. And I'm telling you, after this 44-day trial, you will not want to go back. 
That is Mosa On Demand, M-O-S-S-A On Demand.net using the code Hotter Than Health 30. Again, that is a 44-day subscription for free, and then it is just $9.99 per month. Mosa On Demand.net using code Hotter Than Health 30. You're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I will say that most most often my clients say a lot of the same things. I mean, they're all from different, they're different ages, different genders, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status. I was, I tried to say that word way too fast. <laughs> socioeconomic status. Um, I'm running on like four hours of sleep. So, oh my gosh. Me. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the, the common there's, I feel like there's like maybe seven common beliefs that people often come to me with, which is, you know, I need alcohol to de-stress. I need alcohol to socialize. My husband and I drink every night, have cocktail hour, and that's how we connect. That's how we bond. It makes it intimacy easier. It makes our relationship easier. And, mm. you know, I don't know if he'll be okay with it if I don't drink. Or so many, like, relationship dynamics are the reasons that people keep drinking. And I've heard, actually, like, multiple times with clients. I heard this the other day with one of my new ones. She was saying that, she mentioned to her friend, she went over to someone's like a neighbor's house and they offered her a glass of wine. And she just said, Oh, you know, I'm trying to not, not drink right now. I'm cutting back. And, and they said, Oh, you know, that's great. I've been wanting to do that too. But it's like, when, if we don't, if sometimes if you're not the first person to say that, you'll never know that the person in front of you is feeling like the same freaking way. Yes. But we have like, to talk about drinking. it. Yeah, it's like that is another irony that comes in this whole kind of catch 22 situation of what we've been talking about. It's like the thing we use to connect with each other is actually like that wall between us. And like we're both perpetuating it because we think that's how the other person wants to connect or like when in reality they're just doing the, the same thing to please us, you know? It's just yes, yes, so yes. funny that we all just like stop being so afraid to just say that we're taking a break or whatever. We don't want to drink tonight. I don't want to feel like shit tomorrow. Like that is a perfectly good response, but we yes. like somebody has to be the first to like normalize it. So I'm just very, I'm always proud of like, you know, what you, what you've shared with me and, and my client, like people that are just being that first person because you're giving someone, which, you know, you may not realize you're giving someone else the permission to do that as well and to be that yeah. person somewhere else. So it just creates that like slow movement and that's how change is made. So Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other things that, that you hear? You said you had seven things. You don't have to say all seven, but what are, what's another one? Oh, yes. Sorry. I, sometimes I follow a thread and, and totally get lost. No, that's in great. My that's thought. great. But yeah. It's okay. Um, what else? I mean, I think I hear a lot of times with my clients, again, this is another catch 22 that they want to get to the place. Cause what I ask them when we start when we, our first consultation, first session, we don't say, what's your goal? Like, do you want to be sober? How much do you want to drink? Do you want to drink once a week? It's not about quantity or how often it's like, how do you want to feel in relation to alcohol? What do you want? what is your perfect vision of you and your relationship with it? What do you, what do you want for yourself? How do you want to feel about it? And so often people will open with like, well, I would just love to be able to have, you know, just one, one glass of wine occasionally and like be fine with that and like not have more. 
And that is the vision that people always have. And they tell me, and I get it because I had that vision too for a while. Um, but when you really think about it, it's like, okay, so you have one glass of wine or you have one glass of alcohol. Like, are you going to feel that? Probably not. So, I mean, maybe, you know, my tolerance was a lot higher than most, but like, you know, say it's actually a real like pour that you're supposed to yeah. pour wine, not like a Liz Lemon or whatever. Uh, what's that? What was that show? Scandal, Olivia Pope, like a normal know. glass of wine size is only like, I think it's, eight ounces, but might like be less six ounces like or something. Yeah. So basically it's like this, what I'm calling, I guess I just am now coining it like the, the legend or this myth of like the one glass of wine and this like, you know, vision and goal people have of having that elusive one glass and, and really like, you know, I've tried alcohol throughout the years. Like, I mean, recently I've just become like comfortable with that. And I, I don't encourage people to do that, but the irony of the thing is that only when you like, don't want the thing anymore or don't need it or can go without it. Like that's, that's usually the point in which you can add it back, but like, you don't really want to, you know what did I mean? You, wait, because did it, you it just say any... that you had? So I've had like, sips of like taste of alcohol oh, okay. and stuff okay. like okay. not like I don't I don't drink like regularly have like glasses of like I never drink but I don't drink because I don't want to but mm -hmm. if I have a taste of alcohol like I and this is what I do with my clients as well like I encourage people to not to go you know crazy and drink a handle or something like that but we do what's called like stop trying to stop drinking it's the path, which is a four yes. step process that Annie Grace does. And, and when we start out with people or when I start out with people, I don't say, okay, day one, put down the bottle. You're not going to drink for X amount of days. We, I you know, we will, this. we oh will God, try that depending on what the person is feeling and like how I'm gauging, like what's, you know, what's going on with them. Like oftentimes like they will take a break and we'll, you know, we'll figure out a plan and I have a whole like path, like program we can do for that. But, but initially what's really important is getting into those situations, keeping like continuing with your normal habits and just starting to really pay more attention to if the reality is aligning with the, what you believe to be the reality, like bringing awareness first, because you need to, you need to generate that data and that knowledge, which we also do in tandem mm. with, with the coaching and with the reading that we do. And then you build all that up and then you don't have to rely on your willpower or yes. deprive yourself. And then it's not hard and then it's sustainable, but it's like, it's the same as with exercise and with eating and all of these things. It's almost like, in, it's like intuitive eating as is as to mindful drinking kind of thing. And like, yes, it's like, you don't need clear, to clear like, out your entire pantry. You can yeah, have it around like, and yeah. Micro, micro steps at a time. And like, you know, one of Annie Grace's inspirations and like people that she researched to put together her book is BJ Fogg. And so I just started reading his book called Tiny Habits. And it's the same thing that uh, I forgot the James Clear, I think. Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Same thing he says. It's like starting, changing a habit, you start so, so small and then you just build on those tiny successes. So it's like, it's not about going from a handle of vodka a day. That's way too much. If you drink that much, you should get medical detox. I mean, I'm not a, a doctor, but like, you know, you can't go from a half a bottle of wine a day to nothing for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, it. you can, it's been done, but it's, it's a lot harder because 
it's so extreme and it's hard to make a habit change that's extreme successful because it's a pattern that again you've worn that neural pathway down over and over for depending on how old you are it could be like 20 plus years so, so to think you're that saying you could just change it in a day is like if your mind hasn't changed it's like not it's not going to be fun you can do it so but give a give us a scenario of exactly how that would look. Let's say you're you're speaking with a client who you you just started working with and you're trying this approach and they just want to have one glass of wine or get to a point where that's all that they want. They don't want to overdrink. But what what would that look like in a social setting? They go out to dinner, they haven't had any wine before and then they they order a glass but then they don't drink it. What was that what does that look like? Wait, can you say that again? So they I'm just asking I mean, what, what a scenario would look like. Yeah. So, I mean, if they tell me that's their goal, it's not necessarily, I'm not going to say, okay, this is how we get to that point because okay. I don't actually like, I'm not teaching people how to drink in moderation. I'm I'm, I'm working with them. I'm coaching them to help them, you know, identify again, what those, those underlying subconscious beliefs and associations are with alcohol where they came from, what they believe those rewards truly are. Okay. Because on the surface, they may be like, there's nothing. It's it's awful. It, it's bad for my health. I know it's doing this and that to me. And it's like, it's okay to acknowledge that the good parts, what you think it benefit, how it benefits you, because you have to look at the whole picture to understand okay. your whole experience with it. It's like putting together a puzzle, you know? Um, but in terms of like, I don't, I don't advise, I don't prescribe people to go drink like i'll okay. never be like okay go buy, get a glass of wine put it in front of you don't drink it i would never su okay. suggest that oh i was like it's wow. more so like it's more so like if they have not yet you know made their own choice that they're going to like go like they're going to stop they're going to have a period of abstinence i don't i don't make that decision for them so if they are planning to drink or if they're not ready to you know at the point where they want to completely like stop drinking i just tell them okay like in these situations you're going into like let's collect as much information as we can from it because that you know they'll bring that back to me in our sessions and we can take that and kind of put those pieces together to figure out you know did we do something in that situation to dispel or help deconstruct one of these beliefs that they hold so maybe for example they have a belief that alcohol makes social situations more fun. So they'll have like, they'll go to a party, right? Um, and they'll have maybe one or two glasses and they'll start paying attention to how they're feeling, what other people are doing and how, you know, after you have that glass of wine or whatever, do you start craving another? When do you start craving another? Do you start feeling like you are excited or like you're de-stressing before you even have that glass just by ordering it? Because it's like you're watching your your brain at work and you're watching that, you know, dopamine craving and come through and you're seeing like, yeah. wait, I'm getting this hit of dopamine before I even get the alcohol. So like, is it even the alcohol or is it like the anticipation and what I think it will do for me? Mm, and okay. is it really doing what I think it is? You know what yeah. I mean? Can so, you, can you yeah. also touch on, I know this is a complete uh, change of subject, but I want to milk you while you gotcha. But the, <laughs> when you, when you think about dating, mm -hmm. that's a big one because yeah. not only is it a huge part of, 
people's relationships. That's how people meet. That's how people, they spend, you know, the majority of their relationship with their partner, the one that they love drinking. Mm -hmm. And one person wants to make this shift. One person maybe doesn't. Um, How do you think about you know, going out into the dating world, maybe, maybe we have millennials in here who are in the dating world and they want advice on how to still be themselves, feel them best, drink less, but they, they want to go out and be sexy and fun. And still I'm, I'm saying this knowing that you could do both, but what are your thoughts there? What are those conversations like? Yeah, I, I would say that's another huge thing that comes up for me. I, I work a lot with, yeah, I say older millennials and then even a lot of women in their, you know, Gen X or even like boomers. I think that's like our parents' parents. Okay. Um, and so, but people that I've worked with, with dating, it's, you know, I also have my own personal experience. So I love, I love working with people about dating because I like alcohol was the biggest, like fr- biggest crutch for me when it came to dating, because I, I started drinking at the same time that I was really like learning to date casually. I was in college. I'd only had one boyfriend before I was super shy and insecure. So everything I did from, you know, going on my first date with someone I had just met to like meeting people, it all happened with alcohol as a focus. So I didn't, I thought I needed it. I didn't know how to do it on my own. So the idea of dating without alcohol was like, it sounds like a job interview. It sounds terrifying. Yeah. I don't, yes. how many, it was one of the very first things I was thinking about when I was stopping was like, if I get married, how am I going to drink at my, I'm going to have champagne at my wedding. And everyone says that so many people say that. And in reality, what I found, or like, what again, are you going to take like, me to an amusement park for our first date? Yeah. You know? And I hear it on <laughs> podcasts and stuff. They're like, well, if someone doesn't drink, it's kind of like, oh, the date can only go so far. Like it's going to, you know, it's going to be, you know, not going to be as fun or whatever it is. But it's like, again, it's that oxymoron of like, you drink to let loose and have more fun or whatever it is on a date. But by doing so, it's like, again, you're not giving an accurate representation of like who you really are, nor are you able to actually perceive who the person in front of you really is because you are altering your mindset. And if you both are doing that, like from the jump, you know, you may build a relationship with someone that in reality, in sober reality, you may not actually like that much, but it's, and you might, or, or if you don't, if you do in the beginning, maybe you find out later on, like, oh, these are red flags that I should have seen earlier. It's like, why why didn't you you see them? Or you, you let, you will dismiss certain red flags because of a drinking style. So like for me, I would have probably never dated someone sober when I was drinking because I needed someone to drink as much as I did because I wanted to go out and drink. So like if they didn't drink as much as I did, I would never date them. So I would have missed out on so many people because I was prioritizing a drug. And in reality, like that actually limited so many of my relationships because I sought out people that wanted to go out, wanted to party. And so nothing ever came of so many of my relationships because it was based on it was drinking. We didn't have an authentic, real connection. We needed because nothing you create that that requires alcohol to exist is real. So that's really that's really interesting. This this paradigm shift in dating that you know you you don't have to go to a wine bar for your first date, but even if you do go to a restaurant, having a mocktail like you also don't have to bring yeah. it up on the first date. You can order something and be like, "Hey, can I do this and this?" And sometimes in the past, a couple of times I've. I just didn't want to bring it up to the table. So I just said it to the waiter. I was like, 
I would, I would mouth yeah. to them. I'd be like, no yeah. booze. Or, or I would go up to yeah. the bar and order my own drink and just be like, Hey, can I have a, I would ask for a virgin Manhattan. Like, and that's a mm-hmm. liquor drink. And yeah. they would be like, that's weird lady, but sure. <laughs> and I, any, here's a, here's a hack. If you don't want to even talk about it with people, ask for a maraschino cherry in any drink, <laughs> just any drink. Mm. It, yeah. it looks, it looks yeah, like a or I'll get like a, I would, when I first, when I first stopped and I was, you know, going to, I was in PR traveling for work a lot at the time going to conferences and they were always like open bar. And I would always get like a, just a sparkling like club soda and lime or club soda with like a splash of some kind of juice. And it looks just like a cocktail, total placebo effect, having it in your hand, just like it, it like lowers the pressure. It makes you feel less like the spotlight is on you or people are going to offer you something and then you can just relax and be yourself. So, and I think going back to what you're, what you're asking about dating, like I can get, I can give practical tips as well. I know I'm like all in on the mindset, but I think practically is where you do start. Like you, you do need to have strategies and tools and, you know, be prepared in advance. It's really important to plan ahead. Um, And so I think ultimately you know, if you tell someone or if you don't is, is your call. I think it's, it's only a big deal if you make it into a big deal. And, you know, that being said, you also don't want to waste time with people that, that do value alcohol so much that that would be a deterrent for them. Cause like, we're busy. we don't have time to go on dates with people that are going to like not date us. Cause we don't drink. And, you know, if people think I'm going to miss out on a partner because I don't drink, it's like, if someone doesn't want to date you or be in a relationship with you because you don't like to get fucked up. Oops, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. No, it's fine. <laughs> if you don't, because wait, can I say it again? I don't want to yes. say that. Okay. Oh, sure. So if, so if someone doesn't want to date you because you don't want to get drunk all the time, like maybe not drinking is actually helping you weed out those people that are really not going to be great partners to begin with, you know, and that's, and I don't want to generalize. I don't want to say that just because someone drinks means they won't be a good partner because, you know, my boyfriend drinks and it's not like that at all, but you know, it's just, it's a lot easier to uh, really truly evaluate potential partners and look at them for really their values and their, their qualities and their hobbies and their interests when alcohol isn't an important factor in that decision. Yeah. I think that if, I mean, in an ideal world, we would all be take it or leave it people. And usually we would not take it. That'd be great. But like my boyfriend, he's the most stable, grounded person I know. And he loves tequila, but it's, he doesn't, Mm -hmm. he's, you know. Oh, mine too. Yeah. Mine like sipping, sipping tequila. Yeah. And it's not, (laughs) and it's not a big deal. And I love the atmosphere of it. I think it's such a beautiful culture. And I think that like the tequila plant is amazing. But I just also think him and I can coexist and we could go out to dinners and it's not a big deal. And he's not yeah. like, he's not telling everyone, oh, she's, you know, she's going through something. She's not drinking. It's never been like that. And I think that that's yeah. also something like watching people's reaction. It's it's interesting to see how people feel about in their own minds when that conversation comes up. I feel like I've been really yeah. lucky where I've had so many people either not even be phased by it or they're like oh why or they're yeah. cur- they're naturally curious about it yeah um yeah yeah I, I noticed when I at first when I quit drinking I thought and th- and that's the other thing too is like we're all kind of seeing the world and having our experiences through our own lens based mm-hmm. on our own perception and our own experiences so you know me me making it into a big deal 
and thinking other people will make it into a big deal than me not drinking is only because it was so important to me. But in reality, I don't know what my colleagues and from out of town, how they feel about alcohol and, and there's no way that I can know. So it's like, do you know a hundred percent that that person is thinking that it's weird? You're not drinking. No. So like, you might, you might say it to someone. Yeah. Like project that onto someone. You might say it to someone and they could be like, Oh yeah, I don't really drink either. And then you just met yeah. someone who does. And then yeah. there could be another person yeah. who who grew up with a, a parent who was uh, had alcoholism, and they think, okay, well, yeah. if you don't drink, then you might have stability issues, or there might be addiction, or there might be whatever the whatever the scheme is in their head or the plot line. But uh, you're right. However, you move through it is how they will move through it. And yeah. I think and you set like- the tone by, by how you say it too. I think if you say it with confidence and like, it's not a big deal, people will, will respect that. Yeah. And, and time and time again, the only people that are going to make a big to do about it are the people that want you to drink at the same level as them so that they don't, they see you as a mirror and they don't yeah. want to have someone observing them and someone that's going to be sober enough to like, see them in that position. And I'm just saying that because that's how I felt when I was, when I was in that position. And I, and I, I think it, yeah, it just, um, I lost my train of thought. And at the end, it is really, it's not even a big deal. It's not a big deal unless, but, but sometimes it starts as a big deal when we need to wrap our mind around something. Sometimes it's such a consuming thought. We think about it over Mm -hmm. and over and over. And I think that that's what I mean in the beginning of the conversation when I said there will be a time when you just know this is, this is the point in my life, or this is that day. This is that phase. And Mm -hmm. there will be a phase. If you have been contemplating these things, like I know so many friends, colleagues, clients have, have been, they'll come to a point where they're like, Oh, maybe, maybe you, it's a dinner that you went out to dinner and someone next to you isn't drinking. You're like, okay, this is a dinner. I'll practice at this dinner because I have mm-hmm. a crutch, you know? So I think that the more we, yeah. not, not the yeah. more we talk about it, the, but the more we make it not a big deal. Make it fun. <laughs> make it like we gamify everything. So why not make this into a game too? Like experiment with it. Like pick out three things that you see at the dinner table or the dinner party that make you think about alcohol. And like, that is like an exercise I do with my clients, not in that specific yeah. direction, but like, I will have them put together a list of like all of the triggers they notice throughout the week. And like, to be specific, like, is it a time of day? Is it a temperature? Is it a certain word that your husband Mm. says when he comes home from work? It's like, um, just being aware of those things, taking them out of the dark, out of the shadows of your subconscious Mm. is like, it's what makes the whole thing less scary is just by not judging it, just pay attention, paying attention to it. And then putting the pause in between and choosing a different action. It's like, mm. like a choose your own adventure journey with your life. And you get to just like kind of play and investigate and try not drinking at that party or that date. And then, you know, compare it to a time when you did drink. And again, it's like, these are, these are suggestions for people that, um, you know, are in the middle. They are not necessarily, if they're addicted to alcohol, they have a serious, you know, physical chemical addiction to it. I don't, I don't suggest this and I never encourage drinking. So I just want to make that over overly clear, but it's really, if you are trying to figure out what role you want it to play in your life and you feel like maybe you want to drink less or maybe you want to take a break, but you're afraid, just see it as a fun game, like a fun investigative opportunity and just 
or just book a call with Molly. <laughs> or yeah. just book a call yeah. with Molly. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly I can talk about this all day. So, well, Molly, we're so happy that you came on again and just had this conversation with. I think, I think that alcohol freedom is a big conversation. And I think it's an interesting one in this whole new paradigm yeah. shift that's going on in our culture. But yeah. if you would go ahead, plug yourself, where can everybody find you so that when we hop off, they can either just click on the show notes or they can just find you. Sure. So my Instagram is at Molly Ruggeri. I will not spell that, but I will let you put that in the show notes yep. and they can find it. Um, my website, counterculture I do coaching. You can go to a consultation with me there. You can also sign up for our counterculture club membership. We have a virtual membership and an in-person membership in Charlotte. We also host a bunch of public events. So we are super excited that we're hosting Charlotte's first alcohol-free beverage festival. It's actually the first beverage alcohol-free beverage festival like in the entire region. Mm. And so that's, I don't know when this episode's coming out and if it will have already happen. Probably but... in a week. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, um yeah, so it's January 21st. So if it comes out before then, it's from three to eight at Camp North End. And we are, we have people from Charleston coming, people from all over because it's, you know, nothing's ever been kind of done like this in our region or area. And we're going to have over 20 different kinds of non-alcoholic brands there from like Sam Adams, NA Beer, Athletic Brewing. Uh, oh, great. Like NA Botanical Spirits, uh, all kinds of seltzers, potentially a water brand sponsor that I can't talk about yet. Outdoor <gasps> Voices is sponsoring a workout class. So DJ oh music, like a crazy floral installation with disco balls. It's going to be awesome. And like, again, it's, exactly what we've been talking about. It's like putting people, I it's for drinkers and just as much as it is for non-drinkers, because I am trying to actually create that social proof that we've talked about, that experience that people need to like change those beliefs. And that isn't, I don't just create things for sober people because this is how we actually change the culture is by involving everybody. So mm. This is, you know, just as much for people that usually drink as it is for non-drinkers and what better time than dry January where it's like totally normal and okay for anybody to not drink. So yes. Well, where yeah. can we find more about the counterculture event? Yeah. So it's, it's all over our Instagram, which is at counter counterculture underscore club. And then it's on our website. You can buy tickets. We've already sold over 200. So <gasps> amazing. Uh, I don't even know if we'll have any this time next week when it comes out, but hopefully we do. So, so yeah, it's going to be a huge, huge event um, and beautiful space, warehousey, cool vibes. So, so cool. Anybody hears this and wants to book a ticket to Charlotte or drive down, we would love to see you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm so excited for everyone to hear all of your, all of your brain power when it comes to this. But uh, we'll have to have you on again and chat about how the event went. Thank Yay. you. Thanks. Good to Bye. see you.